This podcast is a production of Phoenix Media. Explore more episodes of this show and other great shows on the Phoenix Media Podcast Network by visiting phoenixmedia.us. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the company or its advertisers and may contain language that's unsuitable for younger listeners. Thank you for tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. I'm your host, Christian Phoenix. Now, growing up as a comic book fan of the 80s and 90s, I've always been fascinated with how storytellers translated these iconic heroes from the page to film, television, and radio. Long before we got the big-budget CGI epics we enjoy today, children gathered around their radios to hear their favorite do-gooders come to life with little more than their imaginations and these broadcasts from a time long forgotten. I invite you to gather around your radio for this presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. And now, Dick Tracy! This is Dick Tracy on the case of the big black box. Stand by for action. Let's go, men. Yes, it's Dick Tracy, protector of law and order. Today is the anniversary of an event that took place in the life of Andrew Jackson, whose father died before Andrew was born. When Jackson was still a small boy, his mother died. And to top off his misfortunes, his two brothers were killed in war. And yet, this man, who started life alone in the world, became later the seventh president of the United States. The event that meant so much to Jackson's career was a battle fought after the end of a war, the War of 1812. In those days, there was no fast means of communication, no telephone, telegraph, or radio, of course. So people in America didn't know that peace had been signed in Europe until long afterward. But about the time of the signing of the treaty, 7,000 British soldiers landed near New Orleans. General Jackson, known as Old Hickory, attacked them but was driven back. He had his men set up fortifications. On January 8, 1814, 134 years ago today, the British assaulted the American position. But within a half hour, they lost 2,000 men and were thrown back. This amazing victory made Andrew Jackson a national hero, and it laid the foundation for political strength, which later made Jackson president. And now, Dick Tracy. Yesterday, Dick Tracy and Pat Patton under the assumed names of Dick Tracer and Pat Paragon, began in earnest their investigation of Oompa Papa's activities. With an armed guard outside their door, they chose the window as a means of exit. Using bed sheets for ropes, they entered a room some 30 feet below, which turned out to be Oompa Papa's study. And as yesterday's episode ended, they could hear ominous footsteps slowly approaching the tapestry-laden room. Who's that behind the desk, Pat? Yeah. If he comes in, make a disturbance to attract his attention, but don't be seen. I'll nail him from behind the door. Roger. What art thou hey. that you serpent oh. this time of day? Together with that fair hey. and warlike form. Hey, get off the majesty of hey, any shut up, Oh, hey, wasn't that magnificent, Dick? And all in one breath, too. I didn't know you were a Shakespearean scholar, Pat. Oh, I'm real deep, kid. Real deep. Say, you certainly cooled this character, whoever he is. Did you hurt your hand? Nope. We've got to move fast now, Pat. This fellow ought to be out for a couple of minutes. Mm. We've got to go through this desk. Well, you take the desk, Dick, while I give Tulip Pie here a quick frisk. Oh. Okay. Uh-huh. An automatic. Shall we keep saying? By all means. Yeah, that's how I feel about it. 
Find anything in that desk, Dick? No. Oh, Papa seems to be a cagey boy. He doesn't leave things lying around. Well, you've done well enough to get the newspaper telling us about their attempt to murder John Harris. Now all we have to do is to find out who in this macabre household is responsible. Oh, I'd have the data for you in no time. Hey, he's coming around. No, Pat. Shall I sap him again, do you think? No, it might cause a serious injury. We don't want to be responsible for that. Yeah, but he's a thug. And he'll be arrested with the rest of this gang when we get the evidence we need. I'd better tie him up, huh? No good, Pat. I don't want him to see us. For us to get anywhere at all, we've got to hope that Umpa Papa doesn't learn that we got out of our room. Yeah, I see what you mean. I'll just take this newspaper along. Right. I want to read the Harris story right through. Let's go, Pat. Lights out. And we'll close the door. Uh, shall I recite some more Shakespeare? Get moving, you lug. Where to now? Back to the room that we broke into. Or should I say that you broke into? Then we shinny up the sheet and we're there. Oh, you make it sound so simple. Why don't we forget about that sheet and the thousand-foot drop under it and go in the front way? We could slug the guard at our door and walk in like we own the joint. Yeah, with half a dozen tummy gun slugs in us. And Umpa Papa finding out just what we've been up to. Hmm. Now we turn down this corridor. Ah, you're a great man. How you can remember anything about this crazy house beats me. Umpa Papa, impatient when Mike didn't return with his newspaper, is now on his way with the bodyguard Rusty Blade to the study that Dick and Pat have just vacated. Apparently, I am about to witness the complete disintegration of my entire empire. I suppose I have no one but myself to blame. If I insist upon surrounding myself with submorons, I should expect them to bungle even the simplest tasks. Oh, hey, Umpa Papa. I try to do my best for you. That only makes the results more pitiful. I send you out with explicit instructions to kill a man. Not only do you do everything backwards, but the man is still alive. Yeah, but not very much alive with three slugs in his back. I do not recognize degrees of inefficiency. Either a job is done or it isn't. Yeah, but... And just a little while ago, I sent Mike to bring me that newspaper in which your blunder was so thoroughly written up. And he doesn't return. One would think that a little thing like carrying a newspaper wouldn't overtax his brain. Well, maybe stop to read it. Let us confine our speculating to the realms of possibility. Yeah, leave us do that. Here we are, my study. You will go in first. Oh, yeah, sure. Hey, you papa. The lights is out. Well, switch them on, you blockhead. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Hey, did you hear that? Of course I heard it. Will you turn on the lights? Yeah. Hey, it's Mike. He's laying on the floor. Hey, come on, get up, Mike. You don't look dignified. Slap his face and wrists. Bring him around. Yeah. Mike, I want you to know that I'm doing this in just a spirit of friendship. Oh, more, more. Okay, okay. You're going to stop the massage. Yeah. How do you feel? Oh, like, like somebody dropped their safe on me. For heaven's sake, what happened? I don't know. I come walking in here to get the piping you sent me for. My heart was light and gay. I was whistling a happy tune. My spirits fell For what? dear great Caesar's sake, will you stop that dribble? I don't care about your heart, spirits, liver, or anything else. What happened to you? I'm telling you, Papa. I walked into the study. I turned on a light. Yeah? And I heard a verse. Oh, like Joan of Arch, huh? Are you? Someday... I am going to do myself the great good favor of choking you to death while a chorus of a thousand mixed voices sings happy days are here again. Go on, Mike. That's all. I heard a voice and the next thing I notice here, Ape is slapping me around. Any bumps on your head? I don't feel nothing. 
I must have got a rabbit punch from somebody standing behind the door. You didn't see anybody? No. I hope you two gentlemen don't have a tangle with anyone really tough, like Margaret O'Brien, for instance. Who's guarding the gate? Red. Hello, Red. Has anyone been in or out of the gate today? No one. Well, keep alert. If you see anyone but me, Harry, Rusty Blade, or Mike, shoot them. No, sir. But did you pick up the paper, Mike? I never got that far. I left it right here on the desk. It's gone. Hey, maybe we got spooks. You men are armed, aren't you? Oh, yeah, of course. Sure, sure. Right here's my... Uh-oh. What is it now? My gun's been swiped. My... My only comment is that I hope whoever has it does me the extreme kindness of shooting you with it. Oh. Get your gun out and search the house, Rusty. I'm going upstairs to talk to Tracer and Paragon. Oh, they couldn't have done it. Harry's been guarding them with a Tommy gun. From now on, I uh, forbid you to have an opinion about anything. You want to go up the sheet first, or shall I do? I'll go, Pat. Uh, when you get to our window, swing the sheet back to me. Anything to keep you happy, son. Right, here goes. Oh, boy. This is slippery. Have to be careful. Okay, Dick. Yeah. Yeah, I'm okay, but when you come, watch the grip. It's slippery wet. Right. Okay, Pat. I'll swing the sheet over to you. Ready? Right. Here she comes. I got it. That's it. All right, now. I'm coming. All right. Hurry it up, Pat. Oh, you're right. It sure is slippery, all right. Almost there, now. Who's that? Oh, great. That was the sacred nine knocks of Oompa Papa. Get in here, quick. Shut the window. Oh, oh. Get past We can't let him see us hooking wet. No, I'll strip and put my robe on. Uh-huh. Uh, would you mind coming back? It is I, Oompa Papa the Great. I would talk with you. Just a minute, Umpa Papa. Pat, get in there and turn the shower on. Okay. Come in, Umpa Papa. Well, thank you very much. I, uh, uh, what? You're dripping wet. Well, that's why I asked you to wait. I, I was in the shower when you knocked. I had to get my robe. Why so out of breath? Well, I, uh, I was doing my setting up exercises. Oh, yes, of course. I see you. Uh... You were doing what? Oh, uh, there's Pat taking his shower. Well, I trust that he doesn't do setting up exercises, too. Oh, no, no, no. He's in too weak a condition for that. Yes, well, tomorrow he will be strong, for I shall place him in my electronic dynamometer. And I believe... Uh, I got to see you, Papa. I have told you never to interrupt me. Yeah, but look, this ain't going to work. Now, look, just for this once, take my weight and come with me. Uh, come. I shall return, Mr. Tracer, when I see what this... Turn the lights on. Who left the window open? Yeah. It's been busted open. Hmm? That's what I wanted you to see. Hmm. But if there's a thousand foot sheer drop from here. Don't tell... Don't tell me someone broke in here from a helicopter, but... Ah, see? Yep. That lighted window up there. That's where your two suckers are locked in. But a very acrobatic man could tie a rope from that window up there and swing through... This window here. Believe it or not, that's what I figured too. Yeah. Hey, maybe them guys ain't the suckers you think they are. 
Maybe, huh? Yes. I am suddenly thinking along those lines. Yeah? What do you got? Uh, tomorrow, when I put Pat Paragon in the electronic dynaminator for his health cure, yeah? instead of a little harmless electricity, I'll hitch it up to the amplifier and give him a couple of thousand volts. Oh, try him, huh? On both sides. In a moment, we'll return to Dick Tracy. But first... For something entertainingly different in radio listening, don't miss Candid Microphone. Here's a Thursday night show that brings you the conversations of everyday people, people in every profession and every walk of life. You see, a man with a secret mic makes the round of the town, listening in to people at work and at play, and he records what they say. Of course, no recording is broadcast without permission of the person whose voice is recorded. For example, Candid Microphone, which uses no scripts or actors might bring you the conversation of a police officer and a man who's just been given a ticket for overparking. Or it might bring you a glimpse of children at play in the park, or two people meeting accidentally on the street. You'll hear their honest reactions to many situations and to the questions the man with the secret mic puts to them. You'll learn their hopes, their fears, the courage with which people face life and the happiness and sorrow they bear. Don't forget, Tracy fans, plan to join us for this entertaining program, Candid Microphone. When it speaks out tonight and every Thursday night over most of these same ABC stations. And now back to Dick Tracy. You keep dragging me around in the rain, Dick, and I'll have galloping something or other. Never mind. Um, Umpa Papa will fix you up. Yeah, I'm looking forward to sitting in that electronic dynaminator tomorrow. I wouldn't if I were you, Pat. Better be sure to tune in tomorrow for the adventures of Dick Tracy. This is George Gunn speaking. Every Saturday afternoon, it's high sea time on the American Broadcasting Company. Yes, the Metropolitan Opera broadcasts Saturday afternoons over most of these ABC stations. And that means, from the operatic stage of New York's famous Metropolitan Opera House, you enjoy celebrated artists singing in the great musical tradition of Grand Opera. Stars like Lily Pons, Helen Traubel, Laurits Melchior, Ezio Pinza, Robert Merrill, and Licia Albanese. Every week, of course, Milton Cross is on hand to introduce each act of the opera being performed. And so, for an afternoon's musical enjoyment, don't miss the Metropolitan Opera on the air tomorrow afternoon or Saturday afternoon over most of these same ABC stations. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. Behold my process. Ooh, yeah, let me tell you something right here, uh huh? It's the Loot Crate subscription box, yeah, full of exclusive loot on surprises delivered to your door every month. Just pick up your favorite geeky genre, daddy. <laughs> From the original Loot Crate, the Loot Crate DX collectible boxes, dude. Cowabunga! To the Loot Gaming video game box. Woohoo! Yeehoo! Wowzers! With crates starting as large as $11.99 per month, there's a box just about for all collectors in. To get your geek on, head over to phoenixmedia.us forward slash loot crate and claim your exclusive offer. That's F-E-N-I-X media.us forward slash loot crate. Great Scott! Snap into a loot crate, dig You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. And now, Dick Tracy!
is Dick Tracy on the case of the positive negative. Stand by for action. Let's go, men. Yes, it's Dick Tracy, protector of law and order. On January 23rd, 211 years ago tomorrow, there was born in the English colony of Massachusetts a man whose signature is perhaps the best known in American history, John Hancock, the first person to sign the Declaration of Independence. After graduating at Harvard in 1754 at the age of 17, John Hancock entered his uncle's business, and when his uncle died 10 years later, he inherited the business and a large fortune. Well, after the so-called Boston Massacre in 1770, he was a member of a committee which demanded that British troops be taken out of Boston. The British governor, offended by a speech made by Hancock, attempted to arrest both Hancock and Samuel Adams. Well, this arrest is supposed to be one of the objects of the British expedition, the Concord, which led to the first battle of the Revolutionary War. John Hancock went on to greater things. He was president of the Continental Congress. He was, of course, the first signer of our Declaration of Independence. And his last office was president of the convention that adopted the federal constitution. And so, Tracy fans, let's all join in saluting John Hancock, a great American patriot whose birthday anniversary will be celebrated tomorrow. And now, Dick Tracy. Tiptoes, the sinister news photographer, attempted to start a fire in a warehouse yesterday, but the plan was not quite successful. He did manage to get some good pictures, however, when one of the fire engines overturned on its way to the fire. Meanwhile, Dick Tracy and Pat Patton, convinced that the fire was set by tiptoes, investigated and discovered that the night watchman had been bound and gagged and left to die in the intended fire. And now, as they drive back to the station house, Pat Patton turns to Dick Tracy and says, Richard, it's just got to have been tiptoes who started that fire. I think you're right, Pat. Nobody else could have sneaked up so quietly on the night watchman. That gives us a new slant on this character, all right. It certainly does, because whoever started that fire is a killer. He left that night watchman bound and gagged to face certain death in the fire. The only reason he didn't die was because the building was equipped with a smoke detector. And all of that fits in with what Junior told us about Tiptoe's bungling. A careful person who knew as much about that warehouse as Tiptoe seemed to know would have found out that it was equipped with a smoke detector and was a poor place to start a fire. Yeah, and remember the rope that tied up the night watchman? It looked as though it had been tied by somebody who'd heard and not described, but had never actually seen one. Yes, it all adds up to the very strong possibility that it was Tiptoe's. But unfortunately, that's all it adds up to. But surely it's enough to arrest him on. Oh, think a minute, Pat. What evidence will we give to the DA? Somebody sneaked up quietly behind the night watchman. Tiptoes can sneak quietly. Somebody tied sloppy knots. Tiptoes tie sloppy knots. How long would that stand up? Well, but what about that interval timer that was used to start the fire? A gadget with a serial number destroyed and of a type sold in every hardware and photographic supply store in America? Try again. Well... Well, what about us seeing him hurrying away from the scene of the fire? Hours after the watchman was tied up, and probably with a perfectly legitimate set of news pictures in his camera. Pat, if you want to pick up a paper at this corner, I'll be willing to bet that one of those pictures will be on the front page. So soon? Uh, I'd bet a hundred thousand that it isn't. You're on. Give me a journal, please. Here you are, mister. Thank you. Well, Mr. Tracy, this is one time that you're going to... But what do you know? That makes four million eight hundred thousand that you owe me. You'll have to settle up one of these days. Yeah, I guess I'll just have to bust open my piggy bank. Yeah, let me see the paper. Here, read it and weep. Spectacular picture of burning fire engine taken at the corner of North and Pine by the well-known news photographer Otto Focus. Mm. Firemen may be seen giving first aid to two of their fellow members who were hurt in the crash. How do you like that? I don't. But it's just what I expected. 
It gives him a perfect alibi for his speeding. And what can we do? No fingerprints? Nobody saw him go into the building or even saw him in the vicinity when the watchman was attacked? Absolutely nothing. Yeah, but what about Junior? Yes, that is something we can do. We've got to warn him that he's working for a dangerous killer. Which, if I know Junior, won't stop him. No, no, but it'll slow him up. Come on, Pat. Let's get to a telephone. Did you see the building I got for the fire engine picture, Anna? How could I miss it? Very gratifying, very. Spectacular picture. Otto Focus, well-known photographer. <laughs> That'll just about make me queen of the May among the spot newsboys. It's a good break, all right. Good break? It was a brilliant photographic accomplishment. Tiptoes. Do you want to know what I think of that picture? Mm, not terribly, but if it'll make your little heart happy... What do you think of the picture? It stinks. Yeah, a terse, concise criticism. May I point out that the papers didn't think so? They wouldn't know a good picture if it came up and bit them. Let me tell you what's wrong with this one. I'm all in. I've got news to you on that point, too, but we'll let it go for the moment. Thanks. First, the technical faults. As usual, you got your exposure wrong. You overexposed so badly that you lost all the texture and sheen of a wet street. Ah, oh, minor point. Then if you'd moved over about three feet, you'd have still gotten the same view... But the backlighting you would have picked up would have made that big mass of fomite glisten like snow. Amazing. Have a grape? Now for the human interest angle. I can see from the direction in which the fire chief's walking that if you'd waited just a split second longer, he would have moved enough to allow you to have gotten a clear shot of the injured fireman's face. Much more powerful, much more dramatic. Rubbish, the only way to take news shots is to be the first one at an accident. Step up to it, point your camera, and click the shutter. Yeah. You sure you won't have a grape? No, thanks. Oh, I know there's no use talking to you because people keep paying you for these atrocities you call pictures. Quite right, my dear. You're just not commercial, that's all. Tiptoes, that does it. First you start a fire. Then you bungle it so completely that all you get out of it is about two bits worth of smoke. And then, with the luck of the Irishman who fell into the pigsty, a fire engine obligingly turns over right in front of your camera. And so that makes you a great photographer. Really delicious grapes. Can't you stop eating for a minute? If you get any bigger, you won't be able to get in your car. The day that someone hears me walking up behind them will be the day that I start to diet. Might also be the day you die. You know, you're a very morose person always talking about death. Can't we talk about something else? Like what, for instance? Like a plan I have for killing a couple of bank messengers. Oh, fine. Let's not talk about death, he said. What I meant was, let's not talk about my death. No, this is probably the greatest plan I ever had because it'll get us some great pictures plus about $10,000 in cash. On the surface, it sounds all right. What gives? Now, there's a certain armored car that carries the payroll for a large factory and it uses the same route and runs at the same hour each week. So? Well, it'll come down Western Avenue and pass 110th at three minutes past six tonight. And then? Well, about half a block up the hill, an explosives truck will be parked. Its drivers will be eating in a dog wagon. Well, is the picture becoming any clearer? <laughs> Tiptoes, that's positively the most harebrained scheme you ever thought up. And you thought up some honeys. Think, Anna. $10,000. How could you be sure that the truck would roll to the intersection at the exact moment when the armor truck would be passing through? Would you hand me some more grapes? Thanks. Mm. It's quite simple. I know the weight of the truck and the angle of the incline. I figure that it would take the truck, starting from a dead stop, exactly 34 seconds to reach the intersection. 
And timing the armored truck with my stopwatch, it takes it exactly 34 seconds to reach the intersection from the church up the street. You know, it really doesn't sound bad. Only you planned your pictures with the same care that you planned your accident. Well, that wouldn't be nearly as much fun. Well, what do you say? You have a chance to pick up all the money before a crowd gathers? No, it's in a couple of canvas satchels. The explosion will demolish the cab of the armored truck, but it shouldn't do much more than rip open the part where they carry the money. So? These are good grapes. Well, let's go. It's almost six o'clock. There's the dog wagon. There's a truck in front. Which one is the explosive one? The one with all the colored lights, the Christmas tree truck drivers call it. All explosive trucks have to be lit up that way. It's one thing that's been bothering me. We know the truck will roll straight after I release the brakes. Well, that type of truck has a lock on the steering wheel as well as on the ignition. That means that the wheels are locked straight and there's no one parked between it and the corner. Okay. Now, let me get this straight. Climb up in the cab and I release the brakes and jump to the ground and walk away. Right. Everybody's inside getting ready for dinner. I'll drive alongside the truck, and you open the door and stand up on this seat. When I say now, you start the truck to roll. I get it. And I'll turn the car into the side street and come out at the intersection a few seconds after the crash. With luck, the street light should be blown out so that it'll be dark when I pick up the money. What'd you switch the motor off for? Patience. The armored truck hasn't come over the hill yet. Mm, give me some more grapes. We haven't got any more. Have a walnut. Yeah, thanks. Well, if I get all the money in the truck, we should have nearly enough to get married on. The least you could do would be to stop eating while you're proposing to me. Yeah, then I might not have the strength. Well, save your strength for getting the money and the pictures. Be sure you get good ones. How can I miss? If I can spot the money quickly in the dark, I'll stash it in the car, and then I'll take some of the greatest... We're on gate. There's the armored car coming over the top of the hill. Are you sure we ought to do this? We might get caught... It's too late to worry now. There she is. She's all yours. Hold it here. I can reach in, all right. You sure you know what to do? You only got about seven seconds. You give the word, I'm set. All right. Now. It's off. Get lost, kid. She's rolling. In a moment, we'll return to Dick Tracy. But first... Hey, kids, what does Saturday mean to you? Well, I suppose it means no school. That's, uh, that's the most important thing, huh? That pops up in your mind, first of all. And then next, uh, fun. Of course, everybody likes to have fun on Saturdays. Well, here's an extra special way to enjoy yourself Saturday mornings. Just gather around that radio of yours and listen to the Abbott and Costello Kids Show. Now, here's a show that was designed just for you, just like Dick Tracy, for those famous comedians Abbott and Costello up to all sorts of hilarious goings-on. Abbott and Costello conduct a whole bunch of contests on their Saturday morning fun fest. So why not see if you can outguess the contestants? In addition to this, you'll hear from many of your favorite stars of stage, screen, and radio. Youngsters, of course, stars like, well, Butch Jenkins and Margaret O'Brien. And the biggest feature of all, each week there's a Lou Costello Award of the Week. A $500 bond, which goes to the boy or girl who has performed the outstanding deed of the week. Really sounds like a lot of excitement, and it is. Every Saturday morning, the Abbott and Costello Kids Show gets underway. It means prizes and surprises galore. So be sure to tune in to the Abbott and Costello Kids Show this Saturday morning. Now back to Dick Tracy. My truck! She's running away! 
She's loaded with TNT. She's going to hit an armored truck. Has the money mad tiptoes carried out another crime to perfection? Or has there been a slip up? Better be sure to tune in tomorrow for the adventures of Dick Tracy. This is George Gunn speaking. The Mad Hatter of Lewis Carroll's famous story, Alice in Wonderland, would turn green with envy if he could see Tom Bannerman. You see, collecting hats is Tom's hobby, too, and so is trying them on. And if the Mad Hatter makes you laugh when you read about him, you should see Bannerman. But of course, you don't necessarily have to see in order to believe what I've just told you. You can just listen in to his Breakfast in Hollywood show, which we bring you over most ABC stations. Here's a program that'll cheer your spirits for the day. So don't forget, for a barrel of good fun... Start tomorrow to make it a weekday morning habit to join Tom Brenneman for his Breakfast in Hollywood show on most ABC stations. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. And now, Dick Tracy! This is Dick Tracy on the case of the positive negative. Stand by for action. Let's go, men. Yes, it's Dick Tracy, protector of law and order. Before we hear Dick Tracy, I'd like to read you a letter I received from young Dave Lynch of Pentecook, New Hampshire. Dear Mr. Gunn, in a recent broadcast of Dick Tracy, you said that there was no explanation for the Northern Lights. Read the National Geographic magazine dated November 1947, end quote. (laughs) Well, I immediately visited the library here at ABC and found the article the letter mentioned, written by Dr. Carl W. Gartline, a physicist at Cornell University. Dr. Gartline offered a really excellent explanation for the Northern Lights. I'd like to pass it on to you. First of all... As the sun rotates on its axis, it throws off gigantic streams of electrified particles which flow from the sun out into space for millions of miles. It's it's very much like a garden sprinkler. If you can picture the sun spinning round and round like a rotating garden sprinkler, you can see that all these particles spout in streams just like the jets of water that flow from the sprinkler. Well, sometimes one of these streams of particles catches the earth as it moves through space. Uh-oh, I don't have time to finish right now. <laughs> i tell you what I'll do. I'll be back with the rest of the story right after today's Dick Tracy episode. And now, Dick Tracy. Yesterday, Dick Tracy and Pat Patton suddenly realized what it was that had been retouched from the negatives that tiptoes showed them. It was the canvas money satchel that was missing from the armored truck following the explosion. Knowing that their only hope of getting conclusive proof lay in finding the original negatives... Junior disobeyed Dick Tracy and returned to Tiptoe's darkroom to search for them. So, busily engrossed in looking through the wastebasket, he is suddenly startled to hear a voice behind him say, Well, my lad, did you lose something? I... I didn't hear you coming in, Mr. Focus. My dear boy, nobody does. Goodness, what a mess you're making of this darkroom. I can't find what I'm looking for. I rather imagine that was the case. What could it possibly be that you're looking for? Well, it dropped in this waste paper basket. That's why I was taking everything out of it. Come, come. What are you so nervous about? What 
dropped in the wastebasket. Why, uh, the ounce weight. Yes, it dropped in while I was trying to weigh out the potassium bromide from a stigma. Ah, uh, yes, the ounce weight, to be sure. Well, my lad, I'll help you look for it. it it's rather small. All the more reason for both of us to look. And my boy? Yes, sir. Now, let's see. We have almost everything out of the wastebasket already, but I don't see it. I don't see it at all. I could have sworn I saw it fall in. Obviously, you were mistaken. Could you also have been mistaken about what it is you were looking for? Oh, no, sir. I... My friend, let's stop this nonsense. You haven't been telling me the truth. Because now I lift out the last paper in the wastebasket and it obviously conceals... I can't believe it. There it is. I knew I dropped it in there. Yeah, there it is indeed. I, I didn't think you were telling the truth. Gee, Mr. Focus, what did you think I was looking for? Nothing, it's not important. By the way, you're here rather late, aren't you? I think you'd better be running along. Well, don't you want me to finish measuring out that potassium bromide? No, I'll do it myself. You might lose the scales this time. Whatever you say, Mr. Focus. Good night. Yeah. Good night, Miss Sigma. You leading? Well, uh, good night, Junior. Toes, why'd you let him go home so quickly? Because I found myself in a very awkward predicament. That should have been no novelty to you. They heard you speaking angrily to Junior. Did you catch him snooping? I thought I did. He was fumbling through the wastebasket, but it turned out that he was looking for the one-ounce weight which he dropped. In fact, I found the weight in the basket myself. It didn't occur to you that he might have planted it there in the event that you discovered him searching for the negative? Yes, it did occur to me, but what was I to do? I might have searched him to see if he found anything. And tipped our hand when he might really be unsuspecting? Why, that could have led to serious trouble. You don't seem to realize that killing two bank truck drivers can also lead to serious trouble. Tiptoes, we're playing for keeps now. One slip and they'll strap us into the governor's pop-up toaster. I wish you'd stop talking about the chair. You know what a phobia I have about electricity. It even gives me the creep to change a flashbulb. You'd make a great companion during a thunderstorm. Anna, please, I don't even like to think about him. All right, then think about this. Are you sure the junior didn't find anything in that wastebasket? There wasn't anything to find. I emptied it this morning. Thoroughly? Of course I tossed the contents into the furnace. Oh, sure, nothing stuck to the bottom? Stop worrying, will you? Everything's all right. I hope so, but I doubt it. How about the money from the armored truck? Mm, put away very safely. <laughs> it's hidden so well that I'll probably have trouble finding it myself. This I am sure of. Uh, by the way, in all the excitement, I never asked you. How much was there in the statue? Well, I hit it almost on the nose when I said $10,000. And when are we going to spend it? You said it was all in small bills. It is, but I still think we'd better keep it out of circulation for a while. In the meantime, we can make plenty of legitimate money. That would be a novelty. How? Anna, have you ever seen a waterfront fire? Legitimate, he says. Of course, this fire is just going to happen as a result of natural causes. Of course. Plus a couple of incendiary bombs. How, when, where? Well, as you've probably read in the paper, an unusual number of oil tankers are put in lately due to the fuel oil shortage. So? Now, they've come in faster than they can be unloaded. So several are tied up to the docks waiting for their turn, while their crews happily disport themselves around the gay spots of our fair city. Hmm, leaving the ships comparatively unguarded. Exactly. It shouldn't be too hard to stroll by, toss a couple of incendiary bombs onto the decks, and... Then wait for developments. Uh-huh. <laughs> Unless I miss my guess, they should be rather spectacular developments, too. Well, that answers how and where. 
What about when? Well, I thought tonight would be as good a time as any. There's a thread of snow in the air, and flames photograph beautifully against a background of falling snow. Tiptoes, please don't try to tell me what makes a good picture. One last word of advice. Let's omit the customary blunder. In other words, don't throw your camera on the deck of the tanker and try to take the picture with the incendiary bomb. They tell me that doesn't work so well. But, Dick, why did you and you want us to meet him at a soda fountain? Not just to mooch a free soda, Patch, you can be sure of that. He didn't want to talk too much on the phone, but I gathered that he'd found something pretty important. Hmm. Oh, this is it. Hey, quite a place. Cut-rate soda fountain sandwiches at less than cost. That's an interesting business philosophy. Oh, I like that sign better. We stand behind every sandwich we sell. That uh, must keep someone awfully busy. Yeah. There he is over in that booth. Don't speak to him. Let's walk over by him and see if it's all right to join him. Yeah. He's signaling us for to come over. Well, I guess that means it's safe. All right, Junior. Okay, here we go. Well, what's up, Junior? I found something while I was in the dark room, but I was afraid they might discover it was gone and follow me. That's why I came only as far as the corner and then stayed in here where there'd be plenty of witnesses if they came after me and tried to take it back. A good move. And what was it you found? Well, it was this, Dick. What you having, Jan? Oh, uh, nothing, thanks. Look, Bob, you got a paper sitting in them seats some way. This ain't a charitable institution. Oh, well, give me a vanilla milkshake. Okay, sport. How about you, handsome? Hey, bring me a tuna fish and whipped cream sandwich. Well done. With or without? With or without what? Pickles and cherries. Oh, with, of course. And don't stand behind it. I never do. That's Mr. Garfinkel's job. Hey, Eddie. Mr. Garfinkel. All right, now, Junior. What was it you found? This. That's fine, but what is it? Boy, it must be the print that Anna made up in order to make the second set of negatives. I found it sticking to the side of the wastebasket. It's so faded, it's hard to tell what it is. That's because she was in such a hurry, she probably didn't rinse it at all. And the hypo just keeps on working if it isn't rinsed until it's eaten off the entire picture. I see. But look, the upper part of the picture isn't faded as bad as the rest. And you can see that the background is the same as that wreck picture he showed us. Yeah, but what's that big blob of red in the center? Well, I guess that's the new cosine that she used to paint out the valise that was stolen from the armored truck. Yes, it's exactly the shape of the money carrier, all right. Yeah, the only trouble is there isn't enough of the rest of the picture left to definitely prove that it really was the valise that was touched out. I'm afraid Pat's right. A clever lawyer could bring up charges of a frame and say that we drew that red outline on there ourselves. Then, then it isn't any good? I didn't say that. It proves to us that we're right. But I've got to get the original negative. Oh, they've probably been destroyed long ago. Oh, I don't think so, Pat. You know, I've got a feeling that Anna may be keeping them for her own purposes. Oh, in other words, it's a case of cherche la film. You unspeakable cat. Yeah. All right, come on, Junior. Let's go. Oh, well, now, wait a minute. Hey, have... what's the rush? Here's your sandwich. Delicious, too. Oh, it's not what I wanted. Uh, I wanted it with brown gravy and marshmallow sauce. But that's five cents extra. Oh, hang the expense. Here's a dollar. Keep the change. Thanks a lot, Bob. The bill's a dollar two cents. Yeah, I know, but you sell sandwiches for less than cost. It says so. Come on, Richard. Hey, your gents is crazy. I wouldn't be surprised if she had something there. Uh, 
You know something, Dick? Maybe I was just a little bit hasty about that sandwich. Seems to me uh-huh. the least you could do is... Hold it, Pat. Hmm? Tiptoes and Anastigmat were in that car that just started up. And unless I miss my guess, they're up to something. Come on, Pat. Let's uh, go. I'm right with you, my boy. And this time we're going to catch them dead to rights. Or better yet, just plain dead. In a moment, we'll return to Dick Tracy. But first... Well, a few minutes ago, I started to tell you, Tracy fans, about Dr. Gartline's explanation for the Northern Lights. I explained how the sun throws off tremendous streams of electrified particles just as a rotating sprinkler throws off jets of water. Well, every once in a while, one of these streams hits the Earth as it travels through space. And when that happens, the Earth is drenched for hours or days with these particles. Of course, you know that on the Earth, the North Pole has an invisible field of magnetic force. That's a big sentence, but this magnetic force is really the thing that causes compass needles to point north. Well, this same magnetic force causes the particles that flow from the sun to go toward the North and South Poles. And once there, this steady stream of sun particles enters the upper part of the Earth's atmosphere, and the particles crash into atoms in the very thin upper air. The collisions cause the atoms to give off light setting up a glow which can be seen by us from the Earth far below. And this glow is the aurora, the northern lights. Well, boys and girls, I hope this explanation was clear. And, oh yes, uh, thanks, Dave. And now, back to Dick Tracy. Well, I went a lightning storm. That's unusual. Yes, I heard it. You know how I feel about electricity. I, I'm not sure I can go through with it tonight. And which will prove stronger, Tiptoe's criminal craving for money or his craven terror of the lightning? Better be sure to tune in tomorrow for the adventures of Dick Tracy. This is George Gunn speaking. Have you Tracy fans any idea how Vox Pop MCs Parks Johnson and Warren Hull select such interesting people for their Wednesday night shows? Well, they're aided by officials of towns or festivals they intend to visit who distribute questionnaires to prospective interviewees. And then five days before the particular show, Vox Pop's staff narrows the field down to, oh, 10 or 15 people. And when Johnson and Hull finally arrive on the scene, they select the final five or six for the program. And they spend quite some time with these people, finding out all about them. Vox Pop is well worth this intensive preparation for it's one of radio's most absorbing programs. Why not listen for it on most ABC stations tomorrow night? This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. And now, Dick Tracy! This is Dick Tracy on the case of the Mermaid's Mirrors. Stand by for action. Let's go, men. This is Dick Tracy, protector of law and order. Say, Tracy fans, what do you think was the greatest search ever undertaken anywhere? The search for the lost continent of Atlantis, maybe? Well, that's a possibility. But there's one historic search that led to the discovery of many things and places, but has never been completed to this day. And that's the great search for the Fountain of Youth. You remember the story. You remember how Ponce de Leon set out to find the Fountain of Youth and found Florida instead. 
Well, DeLeon sailed from Puerto Rico, where he was governor, on March 3rd, 1513, and landed on the coast of Florida near St. Augustine on April 8th. That trip took him more than a month. Today, it's a matter of hours by airplane. Now, Ponce DeLeon didn't find the Fountain of Youth, but there's one interesting sidelight to his discovery of Florida. Today, thousands of people travel to the Sunshine State every winter to spend the cold months and the warm weather there. Many of them do it, hoping it'll prolong their lives. So there you have it. Ponce de Leon, searching for the Fountain of Youth, found Florida 435 years ago today. And people are still going to Florida for pretty much the same reason right now. And now, here is Dick Tracy. I want to tell you something about Crowder Hall. It's a big 40-room mansion about 60 miles from the city. It's got acres of ground around it and ought to be a swell place to spend a few spring days just doing nothing. Pat Patton and I were invited out by Colonel Tewksbury Crowder. But when we got there, we ran into a bit of trouble. And no colonel. The next morning, while I was shaving and Pat was taking a cold water shower, we talked things over. Yes, sir, right after breakfast, we'll search the house, we will. If anybody's hiding in any of the rooms, we'll nap. What? What's that you said? I can't hear you, Pat. Turn off that shower. That's right, in about an hour. I said I couldn't hear what you were... Oh, never mind. Oh, <clears throat> You know something, Richard? There's nothing like a chilly morning shower to make your insides feel good. I know, Pat. I just took one. <sighs> the bucko who broke in here last night is still on the premises. I'm healthy enough to nab him with my bare hands. Uh-huh. Say, Dick, why would anybody go into that room downstairs and smash one of those mermaid's mirrors? That's what I'd like to know. There was no other sign of disturbance. No, except that the caretaker, Mr. Rogo, got a crack on the head when he went to investigate. It's funny he didn't see who hit him. Of course, it was dark in the room. Yeah, that accounts for it. Mm. Well, it's a fine, quiet vacation, I must say. Well, we only got here last night, Pat. Yeah, I know, but first the caretaker's dog tries to get us, then the caretaker thinks we're a couple of crooks, and then instead of having a good night's sleep, we run into a mystery. Richard, when is the next train back to the peace and quiet of the city? Oh, you'll feel better with some food under your belt, Pat. And I'll be obliged for you to straighten out this Crowder Hall difficulty and let's all enjoy the duties of nature. Pat, uh, put on your robe, will you, and see who that is? Just a minute, I'm coming. I say, do you mind if I come in? Good morning. Oh, morning. Hi, Colonel. Come in, come in, sir. Uh, excuse my appearance, will you? I- I'll be dressed in a minute. Up bright and early, I see, Colonel. Yes, yes. Yes, it all. Couldn't sleep, you know. All that trouble last night. I, 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 I'd been up for an hour, searched the house thoroughly. I didn't find a thing, not a thing. Have you any theories about last night? Theories? That's what a detective deals with, Tracy. All right, sure, I have a theory. Someone came into this big house to steal something. Yes, of course, of course, to be sure, yes. Now, you tell me what's worth stealing. Oh, everything, my dear chap, Everything. I've been collecting valuable antiques for years, big and small. Yes, and a few months ago, you picked up the six doors, part of the fittings from the smoking room of the Lioness Attorney. The mermaid doors, yes. They're not exactly antiques, you know. But I thought they'd look well in the room, make nice panels. What? Well, Colonel, as soon as I get dressed, I'm going down to the room and examine those mermaid mirrors on each of the doors. You and Pat uh, can go on ahead, and I'll see you at the breakfast table. A few minutes later, I went downstairs. The room just below my bedroom was the room I wanted to examine again. There were the six beautiful doors built right into the wood paneling of the room. On each door was a beautiful painting of a mermaid. She was holding a real mirror. Last night, one of those mirrors had been removed from a door, and now it lay smashed on the floor. I started to examine one of the other mermaid mirrors when I heard a step behind me. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean 
startle you. You're Detective Tracy, aren't you? And uh, you're Miss Angela Crowder. How did you know that? Well, you just said I was a detective. <laughs> Your breakfast is ready. Did you know that? Oh, yes, yes. I could smell the bacon. It's ham. Oh. Uh, tell me, Miss Crowder, what do you know about these mermaid doors? You weren't here at Crowder Hall during all the excitement last night, I believe. Oh, no. I, I drove out from the city early this morning with Joseph. Uncle Tewksbury, uh, Tewksbury told me that somebody popped old Mr. Ogle, the caretaker, over the head and that he... Uh, I... Just a moment, Miss Crowder. Oh, call me Angela. All my uncle's older friends do. Well, all right. Uh, Angela, in the first place, who is Joseph? Oh, he's Joseph Lavar, a friend of mine. He's also very much interested in the Crowder Hall antique. And, uh... Is he also very much interested in you? Oh, let's not go into that, Mr. Tracy. Come along and eat your breakfast before the eggs get cold. I followed Angela Crowder out to the dining room, which was in another part of the big house. Angela was about 20 and very attractive. She was the niece of Colonel Crowder, and I was interested in getting a look at her boyfriend, Joseph LeVar. But he wasn't at the table. Pat was the only one there, and he was still eating. Ah, fresh country ham and eggs. Thick cream. Real butter. I don't know quite what, what's going to happen to my weight, Richard, but they'll have to ring a bell to stop me eating. While I ate my breakfast, Pat had another cup of coffee. And when Angela went out of the room, he told me about Joseph Lavar. Know something, Dick? Hmm? I don't like that lad. There's something about him I don't like. Like what? Oh, it isn't because he's Italian and good-looking enough to be in the movies. It isn't that. I, I like every nationality, every race and religion. Yeah. I even like the iris, strangely enough. No, no, it's something else. I'm still listening, Pat. Well, he claims to be an expert on antiques. Yes, yes, so Angela told me. Yeah, he was telling the Carter he knew all about antiques and very old furniture. He had a very great study of it. Well? Well, now he put my two cents in. Now listen to this. I asked him how it was possible to protect an antique chair from erythema. Yeah. He said the thing to do was to paint the chair with white varnish. Meaning what? Richard, my boy, erythema has nothing at all to do with antique chairs. Erythema happens to be the medical word for sunburn. Oh. Mm-hmm. But this Joseph Lavar didn't know it. He fell for the trick, and I knew right then and there he was a phony. Well, now, that's all right, Pat. What else did you find out? And I hate to say this, but uh, Miss Angela doesn't always tell the truth either. She said she'd driven out from the city with Lavar, but she didn't. No? No. Take a look at this. Mm-hmm. I found it under his chair after he left the table. The New Jersey Tavern, Route 67. Mm-hmm. He was living there yesterday and the day before. That's the business room and board. Yeah. Yeah, made out to Joseph Lavar for two days' lodging. Well, Pat, you have a good reason for being suspicious of him. And the New Jersey Tavern is only a mile down the road from here. But Miss Angela said she drove him out from the city early this morning. Yes, that's what you told me, too. So it's possible that Navar could have been in this house last night, huh? Well, if he was, I wonder what he was looking for. Of course, Pat, you know, we have no proof that Lavar is a crook, or that he was in, in Crowder Hall last night, or that he knocked out the caretaker, or... A crazy! Pat! Hey. It's happened again! you better come with me quickly. What's happened again, Colonel? Oh, another accident. I'm jolly well fed up, you know. Oh, easy does it, Colonel. Take it easy. Well, I, I left him for a minute in the mermaid room. When I came back, he was lying on the floor. Who was? The young chap, young LeVar. LeVar? Come along, Pat. Let's see what this is all about. Oh, oh, there you are, Angela. Is he all right? I mean, the chap isn't dead, is he? Oh, no. No, but but we ought to send for a doctor. 
We ought to get into a bedroom. Uh, please, uh, let me have a look, Miss Crowder. This is Mr. LeBar, I suppose. Oh, Dr. of course it is. Well, then, no, I won't try to move him until I've examined. Odd. Oh, very odd. He seems only to have fainted. Shall I telephone for a doctor? Yes, you can call a New Jersey tavern. Maybe there's one there. You know where it is? Of course. It's only a mile from here. Uh, no, on uh, second thought, no, perhaps we don't need a doctor. Pat, lend a hand here, will you? We can carry him to one of the bedrooms, and I think he'll revive without too much trouble. We left Joseph LeVar in the hands of Uncle Tukey Crowder and his niece and came back downstairs to the mermaid room. Didn't take a second look to see that two more of the mermaid mirrors had been removed from two of the doors. Uh, Richard, guess maybe I was wrong about that antique expert. Looks like LeVar is just as innocent as I am. You mean because he was found unconscious here on the floor a few minutes ago? Of course I mean that. What else? I found the old caretaker lying here last night, didn't I? Now this morning we find LeVar out like a light. With only one slight difference, Pat. What's that? The old caretaker was conked over the head and knocked out. LeVar didn't have a mark on him. Well, but, but, but he was unconscious. Oh, no. What? When Angela brought a glass of water and poured a bit down his throat, he gulped. Now, Pat, an unconscious man is unable to gulp water or anything else. No, Pat. Joseph LeVar was no more unconscious than I was. Well, that'd be a monkey's uncle. Now, look, Pat. We've got to work fast. You've got a small screwdriver on your key ring. I have. All right. We'll unscrew the three remaining mirrors on the mermaid doors. My hunch is that somebody's looking for something behind those mirrors, and I'm going to look first. Then we'll put the three mirrors back in place and keep our mouths shut. We won't say a word to the Colonel or Angela or LeVar. Come on now. Let's get busy before somebody comes. In a minute, we'll return to Dick Tracy. But first... Hey, kids, here's a show for you starring those two laugh-happy comedians, Abbott and Costello. Every Saturday morning, the Abbott and Costello Kids Show comes your way over most of these same ABC stations. And here are just a few of the gala surprises that you'll be hearing on this Saturday Fun Fest. Abbott and Costello, of course, are up to their usual funny tricks, and they'll interview some of your favorite boy and girl screen stars, like Roy Rogers or Margaret O'Brien or Butch Jenkins, who will appear to try to hold their own with the two comedians. And, of course, many children from the audience will be interviewed and will participate in different sorts of contests. Now, here's a show that was meant just for you. Of course, Abbott and Costello hand out prizes for the best answers, and each week, a trophy and gold medals will be awarded to the outstanding boy or girl who has done the most heroic deed of the week. Now, that's really something to work for, isn't it? These Abbott and Costello Kids Show programs originate in the famous Lou Costello Jr. Youth Foundation for underprivileged children. That's the Hollywood organization started by Lou Costello a few years ago for one of the best causes in the world. Tune in the Abbott and Costello Kids Show this Saturday morning. Now, back to Dick Tracy. Hmm. That's funny, Pat. Yeah, it sure is. Not a single thing behind any of these mirrors. No. All right, Pat. Let's get him back on the doors. But there has to be a reason behind this mystery. Even if there isn't, isn't anything behind these mirrors, somebody knows the answer. Maybe it's the Colonel or Angela. Maybe it's LeVar. But there has to be a solution to this. Yes, Dick Tracy is right. And you'll be with him tomorrow when the case of the mermaid's mirrors starts to reveal a lot of exciting clues that just about ruin a swell vacation. So get in on the detective work, too, on the adventures of Dick Tracy. Tomorrow, same time, same station. This is George Gunn speaking. An average radio listener recently said, quote, your Thursday night Willie Piper show is certainly pleasant. Yes, it moves along so smoothly and delightfully that you'll be surprised to find yourself completely absorbed in the story. Not aware that your face is covered with a broad smile. Thirty minutes pass just like that, and you're left with a mellow, contented feeling. 
The hero of the show is Willie Piper, a well-intentioned youth who blunders his way through the darndest predicaments. He's married to a wonderful girl. They live with Willie's father-in-law. These are the chief members of the cast. For the story and for the wholesome chuckles, hear the Willie Piper Show broadcast tonight over most ABC stations. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. Get this and previous episodes of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater wherever you get podcasts or by visiting phoenixmedia.us forward slash silverageheroes. Join us again, same bat time, same bat station, for another presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. Excelsior! Excelsior!